Welcome to a podcast, but evil. I'm Dan Oster. And I'm Doug Leaf. And today's subject is... <laughs> La Llorona. Come on, everybody. Doug, you know this. Here we go. One more time. La Llorona. <laughs> All right. Let's do the fade out here on my... My super cool soundboard. We'll see how that sinks in uh, post. <laughs> okay. I know very little about this subject, but uh, Doug has come prepared as he always has. Yes, I have. Uh, I, if I hadn't, this would be a very short podcast, for sure. Uh, but um, before we get into that, once again, just giving you a heads up at the top, please, if you enjoy our mojo, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out. And feel free to contact us on Twitter at Podcast but Evil. All right, so Dan, shall we kick this off as we always do by asking you what you know about this character without having done any studying for today? Well, Doug, I have to admit, I do have a little bit of a history with this character as she showed up in a pre-roll ad throughout 2019 (laughs) that I would see whenever I watched uh, an episode of Quantum Leap, which I was working through on the NBC streaming app. Of course, this was a trailer for the movie The Curse of La Llorona, and I know that She's some kind of folktale. And then the priest goes, to some. Um, But they also refer to her, I think, in that as the Weeping Woman. So she is a character from, uh, I'm just going to say Latin American folklore. I'm not exactly sure where she originates, but comes across in the trailer as some kind of ghostly figure. Seems to have a hostility towards children. So maybe she's one of those legends that you tell kids to make them behave uh, in the vein of, say, a Krampus. But that's really it. That's all I know. I mean, there's um, there's sort of like uh, another kind of ghost story, another movie, really, with Daniel Radcliffe. It's like the woman in the black veil or something like that. It's another one of these sort of like ghostly women that seems to sort of beckon children and, you know, don't go towards them. That's really all I know. Very little about La Llorona. Well, you've done pretty well on your scorecard based solely on that trailer. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a pre-roll this is like a 15 second cut that's an impressive whoever cut that trailer together really knows how to get an idea across because okay you did get a lot of it this is our first real folk tale not counting slender man which was an attempt to recreate something like this and it's our first ghost story which is kind of cool it is a mostly uh, mexican tale but as we'll see we'll get into the extended Euronaverse. <laughs> and see kind of how far and wide this thing ranges. But I'll save that for later on in the podcast. So we should probably start off by just telling the ghost story. Because, you know, it is a campfire story. It won't take me that long to tell it. And there are obviously, like any folk tale, there's going to be lots of variants of this yeah. tale. So I'll just kind of stick with the bog standard version of it. Okay. So I'm, I'm dimming the lights. Okay. I'm going to get my so flashlight and hold it up to yeah. my chin. I'll get your flashlight, hold it to your face. And Doug, I want you to tell it to me like you're telling me a ghost story, okay? Oh, like you're right. trying to scar me for life. <laughs> Once upon a time in Mexico. No, so, I'm already scared. No. <laughs> so the story goes that uh, a lady named Maria 
is uh, a lowborn woman, but is extraordinarily beautiful. She is, in some versions of, of this story, not necessarily Aztec, but like of Native American descent. When a highborn Spanish man comes rolling through town and he sees her and he uh, immediately falls in love with her. Is this the 19th century, hmm? 18th century, 19th century, 18th century? When would this be about? So versions of this particular version of the story go all the way back to the conquistador era. So all the way back to the 16th century. And what's cool about that is, uh, as we'll see, this is kind of a neat intersection of different cultures clashing together during that time produces this story. So you've got this wealthy Spanish man who falls in love with Maria. They get married. They have two boys. And business starts to take him away from home on trips. The conquistador business. Well, he's not a conquistador. Oh, okay. He's some sort of nobleman, I guess. Okay. But each time he leaves, he's gone a little longer. And each time he comes back, he seems a little more disinterested in Maria. But he is plenty interested. He still loves the two boys. He spends all his time with them and kind of ignores her. And this situation continues and gets worse until eventually uh, he doesn't come back for a very, very long time. And one day... She is walking through the woods with the two sons and she sees the same cart roll up that she had seen the day that she met him. And sure enough, there's her husband in the cart with a younger, more beautiful woman. Oh, man. You know, tale as old as time, Doug. Goes out for a pack of cigarillos, never comes back. Yeah. Okay. So he's with a different woman. And so in a fit of rage, she tosses the two boys into the river. Damn. They didn't do it. Yeah, throws them into the river and then suddenly comes to her senses, realizes what she has done and throws herself into the river after them and drowns. Murder suicides. Murder suicide. And she is now cursed to spend eternity wandering up and down near the rivers, weeping and wailing, looking for her two boys. And the threat comes in is that, you know, she sees you, especially if you are a child. She might mistake you for one of her own. And when she finds out that you're not her kid, she will drag you down and oh. you know, drown you. Yeah. And that is the story of La Llorona. Again, it's a ghost story. It doesn't take that long to tell, um, but there's still a lot to unpack with it. I'm guessing a man wrote this female character. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely a feminist angle that us as two dudes are totally equipped to talk about. Feminist Um, angle? I don't know. It seems like it's the... uh, This isn't like Medusa where I feel like, oh, yeah, she... You know, there's more depth there. This just feels kind of... I don't want to say insulting. I mean, this stuff does happen. You have heard in the news stories like this, you know. Uh, There was some woman who, like, drove into a lake, right? Susan Smith. Is that Susan Smith? Yeah, I mean, that's like a real-life La Llorona story right there. And there was also, I believe it was Andrea... uh, I know her last name was Yates. I can't remember what her first name was. Um, I looked this up before and I've, I've forgotten it. But she also, same thing. She right. I mean, car, so you can't she drowned say that in a bathtub. Yeah, you can't say this is a thing that doesn't happen. I mean, it clearly happens. And it's hard to you know find fault with the uh, characterization in a folk story or a, a ghost story that's hundreds of years old. But it's sort of interesting that how incidental this adultery angle is. It's sort of just off to the side. But we're really focused on this woman losing her mind over it. Well, you've, like I said, this is this is at an interesting crossroads for cultures. You've got 
Catholic Spain and then the Aztec, you know, Native American cultures coming together. And what the Spanish Catholic culture brings to the mix is this very zeroed in focus on murder and particularly suicide and the ways that is viewed in the Catholic Church is, you know, what a horrible sin it is to commit suicide. And the idea that someone would be cursed to wander the earth forever because of that, unable to enter heaven. They're cursed to be either in limbo or here in some kind of netherworld. That's a very Catholic idea being grafted onto this story. I mean, sort of. The idea of wandering the earth as a spirit was never brought up to me in Sunday school. <laughs> well, not that part of it. That actually feels a little bit more like it might be like an Aztec thing than a, than a Catholic thing. There are some Aztec... I have to find this so I can pronounce it correctly or hope to pronounce it correctly. But there is an Aztec goddess named, where is she? Siwakuatl. Siwi to her friends. Yeah, Siwi. Siwakuatl is a, a fertility goddess. She's associated with reproduction and a lot of other kind of feminine concepts. And she also lost her son in the mythology. And so there's some tie-ins with that. In fact, she's depicted sometimes as like kind of a skeletal figure. Ah, so for the got boning this. part. I got you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got <laughs> you've got another person who's a real historical figure tied up in this who's uh, known as La Malinche. And La Malinche is a woman who served as Herman Cortez's interpreter. And so he so this is like the Who's Herman Cortez? You know, or sorry, or, or not uh, Cortez. Sorry, not Herman. Ah, okay. Um, Herman Cortez, Herman Cortez like, owns a hardware <laughs> store in New Mexico. Sorry, Herman. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, like vengeful spirits keep showing up <laughs> looking for <laughs> the other Cortez. Right. So when he came over from Spain to conquer the New World, basically he needed help to do that because he couldn't. Nobody spoke the language. So he, this woman, La Malinche, becomes a traitor to the native side, and she helps Cortez interact with the native culture by um, bridging the language gap. But then she eventually becomes his mistress and bears some of his children. And so there's a folk story that he abandons her to marry a Spanish lady. There's no evidence that she killed her children. But again, you're kind of pulling elements from this stuff. I see. So this is a sort of a parallel story. This one's very similar. Yeah. Like like I said, there's no murder aspect to it. But again, it's like if you want to find a person to vilify, you're going to say, well, here's this lady that the culture wants nothing better than to drag this person down. Right. Well, then we're going to cast her in this folk tale as a murderess of her children. Yeah. Driven mad by adultery and everything else. It'd be like in the future, they'll be like, oh, have I told you the story of the weeping specter Melania? Wherever there is cyberbullying, she will arrive and... <laughs> so I think it was the Onion. Beat you to death with your like, keyboard. Yeah, I think the Onion or one of them uh, actually did some bit where they referred to her as La Llorona. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, she does seem kind of like spectral. And weepy, Yeah. Well, but I think, you know, even just telling you the the broad strokes of this story, you already seized on, I mean, there's that Daniel Radcliffe movie, but there's, this is where we get into the extended Euronaverse, where there are versions of this story that predate La Eurona or something like it, but this concept of a ghostly woman in white who haunts a place and will murder mostly children, but maybe adults too. 
you can find one of these in almost every culture. Yeah, the woman in black was the Daniel Radcliffe movie. Right. I just. Um, to, I mean, to the point where there's actually an entry in Wikipedia for like white lady parentheses ghosts. And it just goes country by country. Like, oh, here's the Czech Republic's version. Here's Estonia's version. Here, yeah, yeah, there is something very primal about it, I suppose. You know, it is a, this kind of ultimate fear and betrayal that uh, a maternal figure would turn on her children. That's scary. That's an inherently scary idea. Well, especially when you combine it with those two other stories you mentioned, the modern versions of that, right? Where we go, well, is this like some sort of, uh, I don't know what those women were ultimately diagnosed with. I know one of them did get off by reason of insanity, but is this some real condition that just every once in a while, somebody's going to snap and kill their children in this way? It's horrifying to think about as a parent, but like it does... Well, it's I wonder really, if these stories are reflections of some version of that event playing well, out yeah. in real life. Clearly, it's a thing that happens and can happen, even if it's a rare enough, thankfully, a rare enough occurrence. They say that babies are cute to us, right? Because if they weren't, you know, we probably would chuck them in a river. But because they're adorable, we feel compassion for them. We want to protect them. It's sort of it's instinct. And really, if there's a some kind of problem where you don't have that, I mean, there you go, right? Yeah. I mean, my experience as a parent is that it's 100% true because if I have to change my kid's diaper, yeah, whatever. It's not a big deal. I I do it. If circumstances are such that I have to change the diaper of another kid that's not one of mine, I'm just helping out. All of a sudden, it's like, this is the grossest fucking thing in the world. (laughs) You know, I can't handle it. And then it's like, oh, why is it not a big deal when it's my kid? Because it's my kid. And somewhere in my lizard brain is going like, it turns off the, the gross right. meter. It's like, Doug, why are you taking that child to the river? We just asked you to change its diaper. What are you doing? <laughs> yep. Give me that. My uh, God. Yeah. Look, we really wanted a house by the river. It's, kind of like, <laughs> it's got a great view. Okay. So that's obviously not a long story to tell, but I imagine there's more to it in terms of you were alluding to this Yoronaverse. Well, that is the... The Yoronaverse the is kind of like the other versions of this legend or something like it that go from country to country. Yeah. And the one that stuck out to me is like, and not just other ghosts, but other kinds of like folktale creatures. So the one, first one that came to my mind was a banshee. A lot of wailing there in the banshee realm. Yeah. The difference with banshees, though, is that banshees are – I thought banshees are like a monster or they're threatening in some way. Um, uh, if I may, am I, let me guess. Don't they herald doom or something? Like if you that's see what it is. It's a, it's right. a bad omen. You. If, if you hear the banshees cry, then your death clock is ticking down. Right, right. It's a bad yeah. sign, but it's not – they themselves don't. Although Bloomhouse will eventually come up with banshee and, you know, they'll – Absolutely. You. Um, your face the up. other one that occurred to me is a folk creature from Russia called a Rusalka. And a Rusalka is more like this. It, it's a, I don't know if it is, I think these are vengeful spirits of drowned women. And they appear and they appear beautiful. And they're more like a siren. Like they're there to allure an adult male with their beauty. And then when they get close, of course, they strike and, yeah. dra- and drown you in the river. It sounds and, like a story that just like drunk Russian sailors tell each other you know yeah i think there's got to be something to this just maybe it's just a super primal fear of drowning that we get all of these stories about ghosts that drown people she won't kill you in any other way usually she won't bash your head against a rock well you know drowning 
To me, you take the children out of it for a second, which I know is taking us away from this specific character of La Llorona, uh, but just the one that you told. I mean, that's such a basic, like, female empowerment as a ghost story uh, idea. It's like, it reminds me, you know, <laughs> vagina dentata, you know, this is... Uh, <laughs> the- <laughs> Which and I, I a mutual right, friend of ours. Right, second album. It's very good. Yeah. Well, uh, a friend of ours that will remain nameless in the podcast. I'll tell you afterwards. Who <laughs> was believed for an embarrassingly long amount of time that this was a real phenomenon. But you know, this is the idea that a vagina can have teeth, and it is not a thing. It cannot happen. I think there was a movie recently, that a horror movie, or maybe it was a horror comedy, more likely. But again, you see, this is at, at the core of that is sort of a ghost story that guys tell each other, like, oh man, if they ever developed this power, you know, how horrifying that would be, how terrifying we would, we would have nothing, you know, they would destroy us all. And it's a little bit like that to me when you have this uh, Russian story, you know, like, oh, a woman that lures you in and then, ah, she kills you, she's a ghost, and ah, how scary, you know? Uh, they have the power. We don't have the power, they have the power. La Llorona is a little different because kids are involved, but it operates a little bit on a similar frequency to me, which is just the amount of like trust you put into, I guess, a maternal figure. And if that is betrayed, that's disquieting, you know, that the idea that that could, you know, yeah, that, that could I, go away or be I, inverted. Well, there's also a du- sort of a weird double standard when it comes to parenting fathers versus mothers, right? We, sure. we have a very, we expect more of women essentially that you know they are deemed right or wrong they're they're looked at as being more maternal and more protective and fathers it's sort of like the bar is somehow lower oh yeah i mean in the story this guy is like going off and he's coming back occasionally and like i'm sure the kids are really excited to see him he's doing like zero parenting you know well also like i even see i mean i'm talking about like what i'm encountered in my life as a parent, yeah, which is like, yeah. you see fathers will do things like mom's going to take care of these kids all damn day. Dad comes home and he changes a diaper and it's like, oh my God, this guy's a hero. It's like, right, right. No, right. you did the bare fucking minimum. Right. You're not a hero. Yeah. Um, dad but, out with his kids. It's like, oh, what a great father, you know, mother out with their kids. It's like, well, that's just expected. It's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. And because of that, especially again, going back as much as has been done to thankfully kind of even the playing field between men and women going back 400 years, 500 years to when this story comes from. It's a different world. And the idea of a mother not only betraying her children, but murdering them is just such an ungodly, unimaginable horror to visit upon children. It's such Um, a sacred bond. I was just listening to the Caligula episode we did and still thinking about how horrible it is, that story about Caligula taking political dissidents or whatever people who are identified as such and executing them in front of their own parents. I mean, that bond is, if not the most sacred bond between, you know, child and parent that we have as a race of humans. And so because it's so sacred... You can use that as a really effective story device. Well, sure. Look at Titus Andronicus. So that's Titus teeth. Where? Where is that? Where is that teeth growing? The Titus Andronicus. Huh? Is that between the, the, t- is the, t- the Titus Andronicus? The Titus is, yeah, is that teeth? Those are ass teeth. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Diagnosed with Titus Andronicus. Uh, no, I know that's a Shakespeare play, but that's the extent of my knowledge. He, uh, at some point, a parent is unwittingly forced to eat their own children. Mm. They are cooked in pies and stuff, and the and uh, are then consumed. And that's how the main character gets his revenge. 
But, you know, again, it's this you're taking this bond and making it profane in some way. Right. You're, right. you're exploiting that. Because we have such a strong emotional association with it, it can be used in a lot of different ways. It can be tender and it can be heartwarming or it can be horrifying. It can be tragic. Yeah. I feel kind of like a schmuck for not even knowing this story at all until fairly recently. I, I like a lot of other gringos, probably first encountered this because the song La Llorona, which I'm sure we're putting at the top of this episode. Right, this one. <laughs> <laughs> La Yerona. Uh, so total aside, I'm going to totally derail this for a second, but do you know that uh, My Sharona is like George W. Bush's favorite song? It would be. <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't like the Weird Al version, which, as we both know, is... My Bologna. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope it's his favorite, but he's never going to stop. Up eat it up. Such he he a tasty like snack, I always eat too much and throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. What did you say? Oh, I was saying that Bush liked to work out to that song. I think was the story I read. Oh, that's um, kind no. of endearing to imagine him on like the Bowflex, right? For that you know, trying to forget the war crimes he committed. <laughs> See, it's not always about Trump. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes, the sometimes shitty Republican. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll get you know we'll get some Reagan and Nixon digs in eventually. Yeah, I, I don't know, Doug. If you need to feel bad about not knowing this story, I think you should say that for not knowing about Juneteenth, at least. <laughs> Right. Yeah, maybe it's maybe you knew point. about it. But just, the, yeah. you know, we're both born and raised in Southern California. And the benefit of that is being, you know, we are not Mexican, but we have access to a just a, a treasure trove of Mexican art and culture just by virtue of being where we are geographically. Right. And I didn't know if the, song, the, the La Llorona song is featured in the film Coco, although I don't know there's much of a thematic tie between the song and the movie, other than it's about death. But And by the wise, way, you and I love Coco, so I think we are doing our cultural due diligence. Right. But whatever. My favorite uh, Pixar movie, you guys. My favorite. It's a damn fine movie. And it's one of those ones where um, this gal in my office who is Mexican had seen it before me and she just mentioned seeing it and being so utterly moved by it. Oh yeah. And then I, I was like, okay. And then I finally got around to seeing it and I had to go through and be like, your stupid movie made me stupid cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is very moving. I mean, I don't want to go off on a whole Coco rant, but mm-hmm. uh, I did find it moving, you know, seeing that movie in the context of the political environment that we're in. You know, I know the enemy of the week kind of changes, I guess. What is it, China? I mean, I don't know. But at the time, there was so much vilifying of Mexicans. And that's still going on. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still horrible stuff going on on the border. You just don't hear it in the news and Trump isn't talking about it as much. But it was really moving to see that movie and see the beauty of this culture. And uh, yeah. And it's also a story that's very much about the power of familial bonds, which is I think the one thematic thing that this song kind of ties into, which is the perversion of that bond. You uh, said the song is in the movie? The song is in the movie. Where is it in the movie? That's the song. At the at the climax of the movie, if you remember, they they go to the big uh, Sunrise Spectacular show and the, the great-grandmother, who is the one responsible for outlawing music in the family, is all of a sudden finds herself on stage and just bursts into a song. And it's this song. Ah, it's, interesting. It's the song she well, sings. I gotta go back and watch own. it again. So that's where I first heard of it, and yeah. again, sort of feeling like, oh man, I wish I had known about this sooner because it's a really cool folk tale. And even though it has all of these kind of ancestors stories and other cultures, and there's also like American ghost stories about women in white that have connections to this, 
it's still a very uniquely Mexican figure in folklore, which is just always cool to take one of these and, and examine them closely for what it says. What would about you say is culture. like an American equivalent ghost story? Something that we sort of passed down. Do we have one? Uh, there was a woman in white story about a woman that. Uh, well, it could be a- that. I'm just saying one that we like most Americans know. Or do we not really have that? Is that not um, kind of a, they're sort of mo- unified they're more culture? Localized. Right. So it's like, you know, maybe if you grew up in Massachusetts, you knew about the spooky house at the end of the road and they would sure. tell this story. Um, I feel like now we just like pass down Vermont or whatever, you know, stories about like actual serial killers. <laughs> I think that's what we do now. Right. Kids gather around. I will tell you of the Zodiac killer. <laughs> <laughs> Who is now a senator from Texas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So it's in Coco. Well, I'll have to check that out. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a more upbeat version of the song, which is weird. I didn't. Yeah, really get I didn't know that that would be possible with this. Well, they just kind of kick up the tempo. Well, in, she in, drowned her kids, then she drowned herself, and that's the story of yeah. La Llorona. The song is interesting because the song La Llorona. I mean, it's obviously it's about her, but it's not. The song is sung from the point of view of a man. Which is interesting. And it's a man who is like pining for her. Oh. Like, and may I presume maybe the man who wronged her and now feels guilt over what's become of her. Um, mm. the, the lyrics are a little, you know, they're not terribly specific, but it's interesting to have that be the POV for the song. It's not La Llorona, she takes your kids, or I, La Llorona, now wander the woods. It's I've been searching for you. I'm looking for you. I can't find you. That's more of the tenor of the, the piece. Huh. And it's a great song. And it's another good way to like, as with any kind of piece of music that is character specific, it's a great way to kind of keep that legend alive because a song is just catchy. It's going to, you know, people are going to want to sing it again and again. Right. That's kind of what I got on La Llorona, man. Uh, I think it's an, a really interesting figure. I did not watch the movie because it had like a 20 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was like, eh. <laughs> right no in the zone where it's just not going to be fun. You know, if we have any listeners that have any familiarity with this character, I would love to hear about it on Twitter if uh, it was some story that you heard growing up or you just have any kind of connection to it. That would be awesome. I would be curious to hear that. Did you, you know, Doug, hear any ghost stories growing up? Did you ever have that mm, opportunity to be wounded emotionally forever by <laughs> a scary story? Gosh, I'm trying to remember now. I certainly you know, had my share of summer camp experiences where people were telling them around a fire. And a lot of them were... Kind of like we talked about with Slenderman, right? There's kind of like a, a um, like a ghost story uh, story structure that must be obeyed, and it's always like person, seemingly normal person, is wronged, responds to that disproportionately, and then pays the ultimate price, and is now cursed to forever roam and yeah. visit horrors upon others. I can't think of a specific one. Do you have one? My grandmother used to spin yarns about a spectral locomotive that would rocket past the farm (laughs) where she grew up. Uh, No, that was uh, Ghostbusters, right? Uh, Right. uh, Yes. Let me tell you the tale of the Ghostbusters. Uh, (laughs) That's a ghost story I definitely remember. Three university professors are fired. No, um,. I don't remember. I remember my dad telling me some story when I was a kid about some one-eyed pilot. Maybe he had a hook for a hand, too, which would have made it hmm. hard for him to fly a plane. But 
Yeah. I don't really remember the details. I think he crashes somewhere. And, you know, it's always the same. They're roaming around. They're still there. You know, be careful because you'll run afoul of them and they'll, you know, do something terrible to you. And, of course, they have to have unfinished business. That's critical because in most ghost stories that are well told, you can still get a happy or a sad ending out of it. But unlocking the unfinished business in some way is always integral to that, right? Yeah, that's sort um, of the definition that of a ghost. That's why we they're talking. still here. They can't get done what they need to get done. Yes, the woman in black. Yeah, and that happens in that movie too. It's the, you know, part of the formula is figure out, okay, what is the spirit? What makes them not restful? Why, right, why in, in the movie the format of those stories, yeah, usually is kind of a mystery. It's like, let's figure out what this spirit needs to go away. In that one, if I, I recall... They sort of soften her up at the end. I think you sort of it's it's a weird movie. It's a very weird movie. It wasn't and bad. It has the and spoiler alert for that, but it has the downbeat ending where I believe he dies and like it's achieves sort of, a measure of peace because he's haunted by a tragedy. That's right. It's sort of melancholy. She and him sort of have that in common, I think. I think she's got some loss too, and then he dies, and you think it's bad, but then all of a sudden you see that he's reunited with his kids or his wife or something. Right, that sort of, now and that's, he's, he's in the afterlife with them. Right, uh, and the other one I was thinking of was the ring. At the end of the ring, she does what she thinks the ghost needs to go to sleep or to pass on to the next world, and of course, then it immediately the kid is like, "Wait, you did what? <laughs> you, no, you weren't supposed to do that. That's that the worst worse. thing you can do." Yeah, yeah, uh, which is a fun twist on that ending, I think. Yeah, uh, um, we could do some Mara Morgan for an episode someday. That could be fun. Sure. That is the wet little girl from the ring who kills you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the sopping Played by comes... Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Really? Yeah. Same wow. actress. Interesting. Yep. All right. Well, fair enough. Let's uh, move on then and get into the alignment. Sure. It's an interesting one. I'm leaning towards chaotic because her MO is just to like murder children. Um, yeah, but it sounds like it's a case of mistaken identity. I, I mean... I don't have a ton of sympathy for her. I would have, but for the fact that she murdered her children, that pushes her pretty firmly into the villain category and apparently then goes on to murder more children. <laughs> Gets worse and worse. The first two, all right, I'll give you. But now, you know, you keep doing it, La Llorona. What am I supposed to do with you? Uh, but I, I think that uh, it's hard to say that she enjoys it. You know, she's a victim herself and is sort of cursed. Yeah, I think the cursed element is interesting because it adds this layer of like how voluntary is this right you know right and if it's totally involuntary well then she's just pitiable and she's not she's almost not a villain at that point she's like a force of nature when do we stop accruing villain points you know at at the moment of death (laughs) because she was she did do a terrible thing before she died but anyway yeah i think that that affects the alignment it's almost a weird lawful evil if she's compelled by the curse to do this (laughs) Uh, it's a weird kind of ghost law that she's adhering to. Right. But I have a hard time with chaotic because I don't know that she enjoys it. She's not trying to. I mean, I guess in the way you told the story, if she finds out you're not her kids, then she's angry and then takes vengeance upon you. I don't know. Chaotic would be the last one I would pick, though. Yeah, I, three. that probably leaves us with neutral because I don't think she's lawful. That tends to go with more like, you know, your evil empire types. I guess. So I guess that leaves us with, yeah, with... Neutral in the sense that her goals are to find her children, which she apparently is so mixed up she doesn't realize that she killed them. So that's her end. And I guess she doesn't care what she does in service of that end, which is the definition of neutral evil. Yeah. 
So there we go. We have now Boom. put La Llorona firmly it. in her place. Yes, we buried her bones in hallowed ground, and she will never bother us again. All right, who would play La Llorona in the Doug Leaf production, the Doug joint? So my pick, uh, I, I had to do some thinking about this. I wanted to make sure I, I cast someone who's actually Mexican or Mexican-American, because it feels that would be, that would be honoring. And a Gilbert Gottfried. No, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought of uh, uh, Sarah Ramirez, who... Our listeners might know someone you went to high school with. Who's this? Uh, She was on Grey's Anatomy for several seasons. And while I first encountered her, uh, she was the lead in Spamalot. Mm -hmm. And so I thought of her because she's got a really powerful singing voice. And I feel like for a character whose signature thing is kind of weeping and wailing, you need someone with like some interesting vocal power to drive that home like that's going to really make that character unique and you know i could see in a movie if you're casting her like the first thing you're going to encounter is you're not going to see her you're going to hear her and that sound has to be really unique and compelling so that's why i went with her is it's her her broadway chops okay one more time the name of the actress sarah ramirez okay sarah ramirez well very good doug you did not whitewash la llorona i am going with emma stone no uh I I don't know who I would go with, but I would. I, I'm going to go with the comedy angle. And I'm, she's Colombian. I'm going to go with Sofia Vergara. Right. <laughs> I want to drown my children. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. I'm going to go with Tommy Wiseau. I was going to say that was more Tommy Wiseau than Sofia Vergara. That's my Slender Man slash Tommy Wiseau. Uh, no, I don't really have a good a good answer for this. I like your pick. And, uh, I mean, Selma Hayek is the obvious uh, Mexican-American actress to cast and stuff. So if I was thinking like a Hollywood producer, I would just go like, yeah, she's number one on the Google search. Why would we? Right. Why would we do any work here? But I like your justification. Thanks. So now it's time for the title fight. Between. In this corner, we have. (laughs) La Llorona. Okay. And in the other corner. Charles Montgomery Burns. Oh my God! <laughs> wow, another one of these uh, that uh, cannot work. This will not work. <laughs> <laughs> this will. There's That's no it. way this the, works. The bit is over. No, <laughs> We've canceled. Not saving it. it. Okay. Okay. Well, this is a Treehouse of Horror for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if they've done a Treehouse of Horror on her. They're probably the not. But they should. But they. Well, this is tough because. Well, she seems to go after children mainly. That, that's the so you have to write some Simpsons like some really like convoluted story where he's walking along like a river and somehow you know is mistaken <laughs> by La Llorona for for like, a child a chi- for a child. Yes, he is very like frail and thin. Yes. So. I was wearing my little Lord Fauntleroy suit. You know, <laughs> he have quite a slight build. Yeah, I could see that. She doesn't necessarily have to exclusively kill children. She certainly does most of the time. I think she's a little bit like Freddy or someone in that regard, where it's right. like, well, they're known for preying on children, but uh, if you get in their way, they're going to take you down. Sure. Uh, and most American men are basically children anyway, so, you know. Yep. <laughs> We're all... Uh, Potential victims for La Llorona. Well, I mean, what are her weaknesses? Does she even have well, any? Well, that's the, that's the thing about a ghost is she already dead. So the only <laughs> thing you could do, I guess, is like solve her curse by bringing her to her children. But how are you going to find them? They're dead. 
and yeah. those too, I guess. We don't even know if they wander the earth either looking for their mother. Well, look, it's impossible it. to write this story without bringing in Bart and Lisa. So somehow <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Burns is like going to try to like get them in his stead. Somehow, right. yeah, use use them. Well, I figure uh, now Burns can't call the Ghostbusters, but he can get their non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> Los yeah. Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what you do with that because, again, she's already dead. So she's got a huge edge. He can't harm her. And he is notoriously flimsy and frail and unable to physically hurt anyone. Yeah. So, and I don't know if money is going to solve this one. Yeah, the Treehouse of Horror ending once again is just like, she's still around and they just kind of deal with it. <laughs> and then that's a like, musical number. Which goes a little something like this. Like this. <laughs> no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it again. All right. Uh, well, uh, I think we're giving it to La Llorona by virtue of the fact that she's essentially unkillable. Uh, unkillable and mr burns is quite the opposite so yeah all right good job and you oh, can yeah. die on i'm the sorry simpsons. you can die on the simpsons sure like maude flanders died uh, sure frank grimes mm-hmm. yeah la llorona a winner is you a winner is you so uh, any other uh, final thoughts on uh, la llorona before we move on to admin stuff no, I wish we had a little more to go on with her. This is a shorter episode, which is fine. Certainly from a editing standpoint, it's awesome. But, you know, I think that is the deal with these stories. They tend to be deliberately kind of vague and simple so that you can connect with them and attach your own sort of relevance to them. You know what I mean? I think that's why ghost stories, one of the reasons that ghost stories are effective it's not like, well, there was a guy named this, and this is where he was, and this is the time and place, and it's very much not you. This is sort of like, oh, yeah, it's she's around. She's always around us. And so, you know, I mean, it's vague. Yeah. And as we like to do on this podcast, uh, you know, we like to focus on why does this character endure? And you don't endure much better than this, right? This character, La Llorona specifically, has been around for four or five hundred years. And her counterparts in other parts of the world have been around even longer. They were, you know, even going all the way back to uh, ancient Greece and the character of Medea. Uh, Another spurned woman, for the record. Right. And this is not Tyler Perry's Medea. Just don't get confused. Okay. Good afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> was she? What was her? What was her uh, ghost movie? It was like Boo or something? Wasn't it just called? Yeah, like, something like that. I yeah. I profess ignorance to the entire Medea cinematic. Oh, universe. I see. When it comes to knowing La Llorona, you're feeling all bad about your cultural blindness. But when it comes to Tyler Perry, all of a sudden you're too good for it. Okay, you can't I see. describe. Tyler I see how Perry's this is. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, again, th- this does endure for kind of the reasons we've we've talked about here, which is, one, you've got this kind of universal plug-and-play story that can work with most cultures, and you've got the kind of real-world things that bring a story like this out, right? You've got fear of drowning. You've got keeping kids in line. You've got lovers or you know, people wronged by their significant other. All these great ingredients that make a good ghost story – And it's like, no wonder this formula keeps repeating because it's extremely effective. Yeah, and you do have that, as you pointed out, Catholicism morality play quality to it as well. Absolutely. It's a warning to people to stay on the straight and narrow because you could end up a La Llorona. Or a victim of hers, yeah. Although that's a little bit different. That seems to be a little bit more arbitrary. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, with the 11th commandment, thou shalt not walk beside a river. All right, cool. Well, uh, I thought that was interesting. Thank you for coming prepared as always. 
Sure. Um, so let's do some admin stuff. We've got some reviews. And there's nothing scarier than that. So yeah, we did. Uh, we've got uh, some new. We got a new rating on iTunes where someone didn't leave a written review, but we appreciate those as well. We're very glad to have that. Uh, and then we got uh, a couple of written reviews and one who said, "Ah, if you don't mind, don't read it on the show," which is totally cool with us. We're happy to do that. Yeah, um, as number- uh, I mentioned before, and I'm always happy to remind folks: if you don't want us to read your review, just hit us up on Twitter or something, send a message, or anywhere you, if you know us personally, just say, "Hey, you don't have to read it," because I know Doug and I are hams, but not everybody is, and maybe you don't want it read. But I don't want right. that to be a barrier to you to write something. Of course, you could always as. Doug also mentioned, just click the stars. You don't even have to write anything to give us a rating. Those are also helpful. Absolutely. But we should, uh, uh, we want to give a shout out to the person who did uh, write us a review and did not tell us to stay quiet. So um, (laughs) do you have that one out? This stays between us, they said. Uh, Um, Maybe. All right, I got it here. Okay. Uh, This actually comes from my uh, friend that I mentioned recently on a previous podcast. Uh, He goes by Micah Monkey. Monkey is not his familial name, but Micah writes, evil, but fun. This podcast has quickly become my favorite. Wow, what a compliment. Uh, Dan and Doug are so much fun to listen to as they break down an incredibly wide range of villains. Every episode is a blast. I love the fan casting and mashups. Bravo, fellas. And he's got some suggestions here for future episodes. There's some really good ones in here. Uh, Magneto. Sure. Uh, yeah. Vlad the Impaler, who was the inspiration for our very first uh, villain, Dracula, although we didn't really get too deep into the historical character of Vlad the Impaler. And it might be nice, I think, on a later episode, maybe to come back and actually talk about the historical figure. So that's actually totally. a pretty good suggestion as well. The Jaws Shark. <laughs> I would like to do one on Jaws. Uh, that is a very neutral evil character, I feel. Even mm-hmm. if he's evil, he's just a, just hungry. He's just, yeah. Uh, he's on. <laughs> Why would I judge him on what he chooses to eat? Uh, Hannibal Lecter, great choice. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Anton Sugar, he may have come up in the podcast before. It's just a reference point. Darth Vader, of course, we're thinking about Darth Vader. We're always thinking about Darth Vader. And the devil, devil's uh, behind the scenes on all of... uh, El Diablo! uh, Mm -hmm. On all our villains. Uh, We've talked about that. We're trying to figure out the best way to do the devil. One potential version of the devil might be one that shows up in multiple episodes over time. In multiple kinds of incarnations. You well, know, yeah, that's such kind a big of the same figure. problem we have with a you know a character like a Dracula, where you go, oh, geez, there's been like you know 50 million movies and TV episodes. You know, this character just appears over and over and over and over and over again. And how do you do a character that's been around so many times? And the, the answer is we just kind of average it out. But yeah, absolutely, Satan is worth a, a look for sure. Whether we do different incarnations, uh, the Al Pacino version. Oh. <laughs> I have oh. so many names. <laughs> Charlie, I damned you to hell. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll figure that out. I, I think on the 100th episode, we should just summon him. I think we should just do a right. ceremony and bring him on. Anyway, Michael closed up. I mean, who's more evil than the devil? That's obviously true. And so we're figuring that one out. Yeah. Uh, we're always in the lab cooking up stuff. And and uh, actually, that, and we should uh, mention what we've got coming up on future episodes. So next week is Charles Manson, and we're going to be having our good buddy Lauren Flans back with us to uh, to talk about him. Uh, then we're taking a week off, and then we're back with Professor Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes stories. And then a real big one, we're going to do Walter White. Ah, uh, yes, from Breaking Bad. Heisenberg. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar. Uh, and so that'll be really exciting to do. And uh, we've got some more stuff we're, we're kicking around doing after that. So we'll save uh, announcing that till later. But so we've got good things coming down the pike. And uh, we're really excited to bring that to you. So 
Dan, I think we're ready to close this out. I know what you're expecting, Doug. Kidding. Uh, gentlemen. <laughs> too evil. Too evil. Clink. Clink. <laughs>